0: it's not okay it should not be normal that people are sleeping hundreds thousands of people sleeping on the streets in a in a city like london or when we've been to paris together when we went to port de la chapelle that that time went under the bridge there and you've got families sleeping in tents i mean like the political conversation to try and push for change is so so important but if you're listening to this and you're completely overwhelmed by that, I understand you because it's hard to know how on earth you can make any impact, mm-hmm. you know, make any impact at all. But you can go out and be of service in some way. You can go out and listen. You might find out that kid's favorite book. You might be able to go and buy it for them and and, and not in some savior way. It's just to connect, just to have a chat, just to try and learn about people. Mm-hmm. I've my, my my benchmark is set so low. and I'm- I'm not saying you can't change the world, I'm not saying that's not a good ethos, but I'm just saying you've got to change yourself.
1: That's my boyfriend Josh. It's been a long time coming that we record this episode together, but now feels like the perfect time, I guess, whilst we're both on lockdown here in London. And we've actually been working on a project together during this time that we really wanted to talk about in this episode. It's called People of the Pandemic, and it's a global portrait series that amplifies the stories of the everyday heroes getting us through COVID-19. But we'll explain more about that later on in the conversation. We also talk a lot about Josh's work, and I guess the reason why we met. He started a hashtag and a global movement called Do Something for Nothing, after he began cutting hair for people experiencing homelessness and sharing before and after photos on Instagram, using these as a vehicle to tell their stories but again I'll let him tell you all about that. This episode is a collection of some of our learnings both individually and together over the last five years. It's a really important and personal one to me so I hope that you enjoy it. You're listening to the Worldwide Tribe Podcast. I'm your host Jazz O'Hara and together with some very special guests we'll be taking you on a journey across the world without you having to go anywhere. We're here to amplify voices, from the people leaving their countries and everything behind them to the volunteers working alongside them. We'll be hearing from those currently living in refugee camps and people working on the front line, the real heroes of today, the humans behind the statistics and the headlines. Join me as we transcend borders, nationalities, religions and languages to hear from the people with which we share this world, our worldwide tribe. So obviously I know who you are and know your story and your stories very well. But for the sake of those who don't, can you introduce yourself?
0: Of course. Well, my name is Josh, Joshua Coombs. And I am um, your boyfriend, if no one knows that. <laughs> no, that's relevant. I don't know whether that's right now. I important think it's relevant. Right it's important. Um, but is a reason why we're together right now in quarantine. Um, I'm just making use of all the people live around together. me. I guess we should go back to when we first met, which was through our work Um, and it was through living in the same neighbourhood in London, in South East London, in Peckham. I, about four, I guess four and a half years ago, first started seeing what you were doing with the Worldwide Tribe. And I think we work, you know, in very similar ways with storytelling and trying to, I guess, dissolve a lot of negative stereotypes surrounding quite a, well, a very loaded word, whether that be... In in this case, homelessness or refugees. I was pretty busy with what I was doing, which is called do something for nothing. And that's a, I don't know, it's uh, it's hard to call, it's hard to actually describe what it is really. It's just four words that mean something to me and started meaning something to other people. And it wasn't something I really planned on becoming, you know, my life's work.
1: So tell me about how Do Something For Nothing all started.
0: Rewind about five years. I, I was working in a salon at the time as a hairdresser. And my first, I guess, turning point, rather than just having the conversations I was having before with someone that we all know how to do with someone who's, who's homeless, hopefully is buy a coffee and have a chat and maybe give some change if you can. Or obviously a lot of the time... People were busy, and, and we walked past. But I was trying to do those things I could do when I had the time. And one time, I had my my backpack with me, with my my hairdressing things, and I, I offered somebody a haircut, somebody who was living on the street. It was a really spontaneous thing that happened. And I, as I said, it was about maybe four and a half years ago. Now, I I started posting. I guess the stories that I was hearing of people who were experiencing homelessness and people who were on the fringes, and the more people I met, these stories became really important, not just to me. But I think to to all of us, because it wasn't a political conversation. I was trying to have; it was a, a human one, and I was recognising a lot of uh, a lot of different issues and, and a lot of things that we can all relate to. There's a lot of really strong imagery with the haircut. You know, I take a before and after photo of people when I when I give them a haircut, and it is really striking because I. I suppose it plays with a very, you know, just the surface idea of the way we look at one another, how before and after, you know, when someone's more familiar and looks like they're fixed up a little bit, people seem to think of them differently somehow. Do something for nothing was actually a name I, I started using when I'd post these stories and it became a movement of other, other people who decided to go out with their time and and do what they could to, to help people out in some way.
1: What do you think it was about connecting with someone on the street, having that first conversation, having, giving that haircut and allowing yourself that time to actually listen to somebody that Spot spark- that made you feel something what and what was it that you felt that encouraged you to like spend the next five years of your life doing that
0: what happened while i was cutting his hair is is i suppose there was a connection there with a complete stranger that of course i've spoke you know i've got to know people in all kinds of different social situations in bars in clubs in f- festivals in you know friends going out for dinner or whatever but It's quite rare that I'd spent an hour with a complete stranger out on the street who i just met and we made this connection. We started talking and there was a different feeling. It was like a, a just, I can't describe it, but it was just a different feeling. You have to trust one another because, you know, it is a complete stranger after all you have to be patient it's not that easy you have to mm-hmm. switch off that voice in your head that's telling you you need to be somewhere else or do something else or be given your time in some other way because of this thing and this thing and this thing so it, t- it took a minute to, to tune into that i'm here with you i'm listening to you i didn't know you 10 minutes ago but now i'm looking at you and not in some intense way i'm trying to freak you out like i'm just here i'm hanging out hey what's up what's going on
1: mm-hmm.
0: It started to happen quite quickly that after I went out and started giving haircuts on the street, I became quite addicted to these days that I'd go out much more than I did my my job in the salon. Not that I didn't enjoy doing it, but there was just this yearn, yearning in me to, to go out and, and do as much as I could whenever I could. I just i was so interested in the people I was meeting that, yeah, it just led me to other moments with new people. And it carried on like that for a while when my time was very split between trying to figure out how to work and still pay rent in London and go out and do what I do. And and it was actually quite a tug of war, really, because I had no idea where this road would take me. One day I I realised that to give my time as fully as I need to, to... To continue doing haircuts on the street, and I started to travel to new places to do it. It just became a decision that I quit my my job, and I I I was still working in a cafe on the side for a bit, and I was doing morning shifts and weekends. I'd work in a bar to allow as much time to go out on the street, and that just became everything. Really, it started off with a few people picked up the hashtag and started using it in their own way, but press sort of got interested in what i was doing the bbc came and filmed something and this one this one news piece went out on their website and it just exploded from one day it it just changed overnight after this one i guess viral piece went out on the internet then i got an email from national geographic and even morgan freeman ended up coming to peckham (laughs) (laughs) which wasn't your everyday um out in Southeast London it was actually mental yeah yeah so he presented something that went out on National Geographic and obviously that went out there and got millions of views too on Netflix so yeah it got to lots of people which was I suppose the beginning of so many more eyes on this was what moved it in and propelled it somewhere that I couldn't have imagined and then suddenly I was busy as ever for about the next four years really Actually, you know and now on this period of reflection and this really deep in breath that I'm having right now, which a lot of people are in life, albeit like a very tragic situation being in quarantine for so many people, it's it's actually the first time in quite a long time that I've actually had this this much time to think back and it's interesting even talking about and um, vocalizing it now because the last four years have been a collection of me travelling to different places going out on the street and cutting hair for people. It's been giving talks, emailing other people who want to get involved and do something for nothing and trying to help them out with their version of this.
1: Yeah, and this moment to reflect has given you some time to reminisce about some pretty important people to you, right?
0: Yeah, I, th- I think I think so. I went for a run this morning and actually I was listening to a voice recording I made in in Brisbane, Australia. It was Christmas Eve, actually. I was on Christmas Eve and I was on my own in in Brisbane. I met this guy called Nathan. The streets were really deserted because I guess everyone was inside or nearly inside for Christmas. But there was this one guy and he passed out completely on the street with a bottle next to him of some dirt cheap cider or whatever it was. And I looked at him for a minute and he was laid there. And it isn't easy to know exactly what the best thing is to do in that situation. I mean, someone's passed out drunk on the street. I mean, it's not really a situation that promotes this profound connection. You know, even a conversation. I mean, he was he was completely gone. Um, but I went across to the shop and bought him some water. And I was trying to wake him up for a minute. And I was laughing because I was like, excuse me. Hey, excuse me. Like shaking him. And then this Aussie guy came past and gave him the Australian hey get up and like i really like (laughs) kicked him you know and i was like and he woke up i was there for five minutes before trying to like gently caress him yes yes like (laughs) tapping him on the shoulder and this guy's right and just like got him up and nathan who i later found out his name kind of stirred and woke up and he wasn't feeling so good but i mean he was clearly alcoholic the first thing he asked for when he woke up was a drink I was like, a no, lot I've of water. Yo, I, I, I had water, but he then asked, like, oh, do you mind going to buy me a drink? And I was like, oh, look, let's just get this inside you first. The reason I mentioned this is because we spoke a lot about something that I think is so important. Um, I ended up cutting his hair, spending some time with him. He started to sober up a little bit. The more fluids he had, we started to joke and he spoke to me about his life before this moment that he was on the street and he was in the army and he had a lot of. I guess a, a lot of pent-up feelings that I wasn't sure we had spoken to anyone about before. I asked him whether the Australian, you know, the army, whatever the government body is, give gave him any counselling or help. And he was actually discharged for psychological. The psychological side of it just broke him. He's somebody who, to look at, you have no idea his story. And he's clearly in a very bad way. And I'm not going to pretend it's easy to try and, like connect with someone but he said something that was really interesting and it was it was I know people feel sorry for me but I don't really need sympathy or want sympathy like I don't think anybody does I want empathy and it sounds so cliche to say but I know they it's, the words sound similar but I think it's one of the biggest mistakes we make which is like having pity for somebody is so useless really. I mean, it's, 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 I know it's, it's a natural reaction when you see somebody in a bad way. I mean, actually, of course, someone like him, people might not even have sympathy. They might go, look at you, look at you. You're, you're getting drunk on the street. You don't care about you or anything in the world, but some people walk by and they'll feel sorry for him. But if you just spend a minute, just even that beyond that first image of him and just think, what was his life before this? What was his trajectory? Did he become this person by himself or was there some, some outside influence? Was there some of his nurture involved in this, the environment that he lived in up until this point? And I'm, I'm not saying that doesn't gloss over mistakes and bad choices because we all make those in life. Bring me anybody who hasn't made mistakes in their life that maybe they, they wish in hindsight they did something slightly different. And, you know, he... He was so with it when he sobered up. He was very like he still had bravado. When I was gentle his hair at the end, he was like, "Oh come on, mate, stop doing that." Oh, stop. <laughs> he was like, "I, I said oh, I'll get some moose out." He was like, "Right, give me like snap my <laughs> snap my hand away," and you know he was. But beyond the bravado, that he was saying. He said actually, he said something really sweet. He said, "I said, what, what should I go and see in Brisbane? Because I'm here on my own, and I don't know. I'm, I'm, I, it's Christmas, and I don't know what to do." And he said, oh, "It sounds you know I'm going to sound like a big puff, but you should." You should go and see Story Bridge at nighttime. It's beautiful. Like, and it's one of the big bridges in Brisbane. And he said, when the lights come on, it's like really beautiful. I go down there sometimes and just, and just watch it. But You know, you start to find these, these common, like the, the similarities in just the things that people say, just the fact that we'd both enjoy, I'm like, oh, well, I'd enjoy looking at a bridge at night with some beautiful lights on too. You feel that, do you? Of course you do. Because you're a human with all these emotions like I have. You've got to find common ground and it can happen in the smallest of ways. It can happen just in someone's words when you listen to them. I reserved all judgment from Nathan and what brought him to that point. And when you do that, it kind of becomes easier. Like, I wasn't looking at him thinking anything. And afterwards, after the haircut, yeah, we went to the bottle shop. And guess what? He bought another big bottle of cider. And then we hung out until he drank it all up and passed out again. And I made sure he had two bottles of water next to him for when he woke up. And it was Christmas Eve. But the next day, he's waking up on his own for Christmas Day. Could I have taken him half an hour away to this house I'm staying in? Someone kindly because they were away for Christmas, let me? No, I couldn't have, it just wouldn't have worked. I would have had to drag him there. You don't have to solve everyone's complete problem here. Like that's not the point. He's on his path and our paths met for a minute and he's in a lot of pain. If you're in a really dark spot and if the horizon of hope is so, so far away, sometimes that is just, the shutters are down for people And in that darkness, if there is a little spark, like a little match that's lit that can act as a reminder of the good qualities that you have and the strength that you have underneath all that pain, you never know what that might provide somebody.
1: just want to talk a little bit more about the idea of unpicking these stereotypes that people have, because I think that that's something that both you and I kind of come up against a lot. These kind of preconceived ideas that people might have about the word homelessness or the word refugee. There's quite a lot of loaded um, meaning behind those words, right?
0: I I guess, look, I'm trying to, I'm trying to dissolve this, this kind of negativity we have that, that. Of course, the elephant in the room here is, there is, you know, all kinds of different reasons why someone might end up um, living on the street. Drugs and alcohol and all kinds of things play a big part in that. And, and it can make people act in all kinds of different ways. And like you know, I talk about addiction, I talk about um, substance, you know, the, you know, I talk about drugs and, and alcohol abuse and addiction, but also I talk about pain.
1: Let's talk a little bit more about that idea of pain because maybe many of us can't relate to being addicted to drugs or alcohol, but we can all relate to that moment when we've all, we've all felt pain. Can you talk a little bit about how that might help people to connect in and feel that empathy that we're talking about?
0: We all experience pain as human beings. We all know what it's like to feel pain most of us know what it's like to have something really shit happen to us at some point. And if, it's not, if it hasn't already happened, guess what? It's coming soon. <laughs> at some point, there's going to be something that happens that we, we need one another. And hopefully, hopefully, you've got people around you who prop you up. Without people around you to show you that person beyond this pain, it's bloody difficult. It's really difficult. Your support network is important. And so many people that I meet... That's the biggest reason why I feel that that things spiral without a support network, without people to talk to, without someone to share your deepest, darkest thoughts with, without someone to help you work through them and rehabilitate that part of you in some way. That you lose self belief completely, and you 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 turn to the only thing that fills that hole. Which is, what's in your power? The things you can still grab with your hands. The needle you can chuck in your arm when someone passes it to you and it's 3am and you're thinking, do you know what, I never thought I'd be in this situation in my life. Where's all those friends who I used to know? Where's my family? Do you know what, this thing sounds like, I'll stick that in. That'll give me the hug I need for the next hour and then I'll need it again. Or here it is, that bottle of booze like Nathan I was talking about. Who, you know, why? Why? Would he want to immediately intoxicate himself again as soon as sobriety? Was the sun, sun was shining on this day in Brisbane I was talking about blue skies. It was beautiful, right? Why would he immediately want to intoxicate and gloss over what is reality unless he was, unless he was in a difficult place mentally? So I think, how can we build that bridge of empathy? You gotta you gotta sit there and think for a minute. You gotta sit there and think about are you capable to act out in ways that are unrecognizable when shit hits the fan for you? To to feel not like yourself sometimes. Well that is all it takes. That's that is the beginning of a path that can lead you to all kinds of places that you didn't know you could you could be. Hopefully, While you're on that path, someone's going to grab you around the shoulder and go, hey, this isn't you. Come on back. Anybody who's read or listened to Johan Ari talk about addiction, I mean, his TED talk, everything you think you knew about addiction is wrong, I believe it's called. It's fascinating. It's completely fascinating because the way we look at addiction is just so far out disturbingly it's, it's it's it doesn't for one minute just take into account the psychological side of why somebody might be using substances and it, it's the demonizing and criminalizing of drug users there was this experiment that we used to look for a long time of how um, addicts behave again johanna really talks about this and um, it was a re- experiment with a rat in a cage with two bottles of water one bottle was h2o you know was pure water the other one was laced with drugs and there was a rat they put him in the cage and after trying the drug laced water he'd keep going back to that and and eventually overdose and and die and that's how we looked at addiction this is a chemical dependency and the, this is where the brain works and when we want something we want more of it and um that demonizes it because obviously then the drug is like this unholy problem the drug is the the big enemy like marijuana was completely radically demonized like in 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 america especially and now look at it <laughs> you know what i mean now look at it. it's sold as a health you know it's one of the most amazing plants mm-hmm. um, that you can you know that grows anyway so that's how we looked at the experiment and then this guy bruce Alexander, he Bruce Alexander I think Bruce Alexander I don't know This guy Bruce He comes and says Hang on we're looking at this the wrong way I'm going to set up a new experiment But this time The rat's going to have Many other things to occupy itself within this cage in fact i'm going to build rat park a theme park you know for for rats it's going to have a wheel it's going to have um places and spaces to run around in there and things to play with and another rat to hang out with and (laughs) mate with and and you know those those two same bottles of of water one that's laced with drugs and one that's just h2o but what happened this time is the rat tried the same two bottles of water but he didn't go back to the the drug laced water, and he didn't keep drinking it until he OD'd. He stayed alive. Of course, the moral of this is that the cage is the cage you're in, in life, you know what I mean? It dictates so much. And the opposite, as Johanna Harris says, of, of addiction isn't sobriety, it's connection. And that, I think, is just put in a way that we can all understand. When you lose connection in your life, you can feel adrift. And some of us, you know, know how to row ourselves back to shore and get through the currents to get back to where we need to be. But a lot of us, yeah, you need to reconnect to whatever it is that, that gives you purpose in life. It can be another person, it can be art, it can be any kind of creativity or exercise, whatever. But, you know, you need help getting there sometimes. And we've got to start looking at it that way that the opposite of this is not rehabilitation how do we rehabilitate people what's the point of rehabilitating someone if if you don't actually find out what it is they're connected to we've got to look at this a different way and especially stop demonizing criminalizing people you know drug users you know who are just damaging this themselves you don't chuck that person in prison you, you show them love and compassion and 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 then they'll get there eventually
1: one of the biggest things that I've learned from you and your work and also a bit, I think, through what I've been doing for the last few years is that if you take the time to listen to anybody, if you want to connect with them and they want to connect with you and then you add in a little sprinkle of touch and affection, then actually you can learn to feel something for anybody right however ostracized they are from society however much like people might look at them and think like oh they're a drug addict or they're dirty or like whatever they might whatever stereotypes they might have actually if your intention is there to connect and they are open to it too then you can learn to love any stranger right i believe that Mm. i believe it i believe that if the intention is there you can love anybody
0: it's not always easy. That's the thing. Like, it's not always easy. I, I I agree with what you're saying. It's about trying to find, I guess, a a clearing in the forest. You know, where you can actually see one another. If you look at life like that, like you're in a forest or a jungle, saying you're like chopping through, and you you can't really see one another where you're passing through this kind of life. And when you find a clearing where you, where you both you both can see each other for a minute, it it can be. I think I think what what can happen there is is a connection that can be quite real but you have to both be you have to both be in the headspace to mm-hmm. receive that that's the thing when i can get to that place where i can where i can be really available and really still and yeah i think if if two people meet and they're both in that headspace then yeah i think what's going to happen is a connection and what's going to happen is i guess that means love in some way
1: i like that analogy of the clearing and the trees because i feel like Sounded those, a bit
0: weird when it came out. Yeah,
1: but I. It, it made <laughs> I didn't know where to go. Think, with it. You know what?
0: Ju- is it a jungle or is it a forest? It's probably a jungle, isn't it? Because I, I think, think it's, it's a like, jungle,
1: and I think that all of those trees are all of the layers of conditioning and learnings and teachings that you've had throughout your life, and that you have to kind of cut them down to create that clearing, right? Yeah, to see and you're more each to, other, it's a,
0: and also forest seems it's, it seems a bit too. ideal like a jungle. Me, are like to like step on a poisonous frog or something. Really,
1: I feel like a jungle is way more romantic than a forest yeah it's probably
0: more, forest i really? think
1: scandinavia ah, jungle i think really, yes. amazon okay.
0: yeah but whatever it is you're right it's like trying to find these moments where you can see one another and i think what happens with me is just to come back around to the physicality of me going out on the street and and speaking and trying to spark up a conversation with people who are sat there on the street watching the world usually they've got a lot of time like usually they have they're not rushing around to get the tube or get the bus or needed to go and go home and feed their kids i mean if you're experiencing homelessness and you're sat on the corner somewhere you could be there for hours and someone comes along and says hey you probably can talk for a bit oftentimes not because you're also trying to make money and me me sitting next to you isn't the best thing for like the next hour but
1: well, actually it works quite well to make some money if you're cutting well, people's well, hair right yeah, that's how I, often that's you how, can yeah. get some attention
0: exactly well that's how i quickly learned to, to to play that is a few times you know people would say to me oh mate yeah actually i'd love a haircut but you know like i'm trying to make some money to go hostel tonight or this thing or that thing and and you know and i said well actually i think i'll be able to like help you out with that and we still keep the cup or whatever it is they've got out to drop some change in and it's it, it attracts more eyes on us because people are like what's going on here in london or paris or wherever it's a bit like different and people look and i can sort of play the roll up roll up you know if they if they if money <laughs> is what they need you know some people aren't fuss they're like whatever let's just chat let's sit here and be quiet and talk or whatever but if people are like i do need to make some money right now i'm like hey come along like check it out i need to this guy needs to get a hostel tonight and who's going to help and yeah it can be fun you know money's important like it's 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 like you know a haircut's great but you know what does a haircut really do beyond a few months because it grows out or even beyond like six weeks well not much But hopefully there's some memories there and hopefully you connected in some way that felt like a different part of the day than Groundhog, whatever your life is.
1: But it's about the moment right it's about the moment and connecting and yeah okay sometimes it can be about earning a bit more money or whatever but actually it's about sharing that moment with somebody
0: yeah and so, but sometimes it's not as well as jazz i mean sometimes it is just sometimes it is just someone wants their haircut and they're like right yeah actually no no bit more for size bit more fat yeah, yeah, all right cheers and at the end it's like all right see ya, and it's like boom and that and that is what it is you know uh, people when they're really hard up and go through hardship as you know you know all too well there's desperation there too, mm-hmm. where like help sometimes is better. Like, well, how can you help me? I need food. I need clothes. I need money. I mm-hmm. need whatever it may be. But, you know, a lot of the time, as again, you find in the work that you do, like people who have so little, they're incredibly generous with their time. They're incredibly generous with whatever it is they have to give you. I guess I know why in my own version of why this is, but when you have nothing, of course these moments become even more important with people because that's all you have you know those conversations sharing time and like the way way we seem to miss that when we're so fussed about everything that we need in our life it's like we're too busy to do the thing that's surely what you're building towards which having more time with one another that's like surely that's why everyone wants all the things they want i don't know
1: and you talk about time as a commodity right as the most valuable commodity that all of us have
0: yeah, I, I you know, actually since quarantine started for both of us there's been we've both lost someone who was in our lives and it's very much like here today and gone tomorrow. You just realize like life is of course, I know it's so cliché, but yeah, time is all you have. I I'm I'm very like aware of my own mortality right now and I think a lot of people have had a lot of time to think about whatever their life is, what they've been stuck in and you know these moments you share with people definitely for me anyway. Look, I can I can, I, I, I can only talk from my own experience. If someone told me that I was going to die tomorrow, I'd, I'd I'd think back on all these cool times I, I shared with not just friends and family. Like of course that's like ingrained in a way that I don't even have to say, but I'd immediately go in my mind to like these these moments where I just had like these adventures with people like complete strangers where I've let it was like i had to let my guard down to let these things happen different strangers i've met who who've taught me things and who've like i said i've walked the walk with for a couple of days with them and and gone around their town and my point is it feels like the most valuable way i've spent my time like it feels like in retrospect that is the part that I, i cherish I guess, the most important things I do in my life or when I'm go out, I go out and I'm a, of service to other people in some way and not in a pat myself on the back, comic relief. Let me go back a step, which is, I didn't think I was a charity person. Like, again, quote, unquote, I'm not, I'm not, like, it felt far away from me, the idea of volunteering my time. And I didn't realise that I could go out and do the things I really enjoyed and I didn't have to be trained in mental health. I just started going out and and being me with these people and learning how to really listen and be available and be present. And it's not always easy. But that's given me so much more growth that no one really uh, told me about, definitely not in school anyway. So everything I'm talking about here, I I, I hope it doesn't come across in a way that I know the answer for everyone else because I don't. I just know that the it's about finding your personal answer, but I do believe the essence of us as humans, you know, we're hardwired for these connections and, and we are we are better people when we remove that tarpaulin of who we are on the outside and reveal that vulnerable person within who's scared shitless about everything and anxious and i'm just the same as you because after that shaky you know emerging of who you actually are underneath within when you can get those moments with other people where you both let that guard down you get some you get some strength
1: talk to me about polycarpo
0: before lockdown and before the world changed and coronavirus took its grip of everything But I used to travel to LA a lot I've got a few friends there a lot of it's going back to Skid Row this area of Los Angeles if anyone's familiar with it which is just unreal I mean essentially a tent city that's incredibly large and full of all kinds of different people who are living in some of the most unsanitary conditions in the whole of America and basically it's, it's this neighbourhood that it's so dehumanised, people speed through their cars, buses drive p- through, people get run over and they just get left there. I mean, it's, you know, without going into this in too much detail, it's it's, it's it's mind-blowing. Yeah, I go into LA a lot. It's been a place where I've met some really interesting people along the way, and one of those was this guy, Policarpo. He was sat underneath this bridge on underneath Highway 101. On, it's near Sunset Boulevard Echo Park area, which is very hipster and cool and you know cafes and record stores and underneath there's this whole other world underneath the highway like most highways or underpasses in la there's there's tents and um, i went down there and had a chat with some guys and this is one big guy sat down Policarpo He was quite coy first of all he wasn't really sure what to make of me and sometimes the accent's quite useful because sort of, where are you from london what are you doing here like what the hell and also why are you speaking to us I got talking to Policarpo and he had this tough exterior about him and it went with a lot of the things that had happened to him. Like he was telling me about where he used to grow up in Inglewood and back when it was quite a rough neighbourhood. One of his, his brothers died just two blocks away from where he lived when he was growing up. There was a lot of turmoil. The culture that he lived in was just, it was incredibly difficult to, to get out of, yeah, to get out of that place. But yeah, he um he was a boxer, and he said that was his way to put his energy and all this anger from growing up and not really having a chance, or he just put it somewhere that seemed to feel positive. So he started boxing, and he got into got into like good shape, and he was doing these these fights around California and out in Nevada once, and. Things took a turn for him and yeah, he stopped fighting so much. He began drinking more. When I saw him, he'd probably been on the streets for about a year, a year and a half maybe. He was really sleeping in the rough. He had dirt all all down his face and we were talking while I was shaving the sides of his hair and trimming his beard down and he began to loosen up a little bit. Uh, when, I, when he mentioned boxing, I said, Look, is there anyone you could go to? Like, there's a lot of training with that. I'm sure you still know people. Like, is there anywhere you can go? Is there a, a gym? And he said, Well, yeah, actually, there's a, a center that helps out with people who are living on the street. I don't really, I don't feel like I can turn up there right now. Like, I'm not, I don't feel like me. I don't look like me. Look at me. I really understood that. And I think there's a lot of shame that can just you know, it just gets in your way, it just gets so much in your way. I've spoke to people, countless people who, there might be that lifeline where there is that uncle or that brother or somebody, your friend who, who might be able to help you, but you're, you're too ashamed of yourself to knock on their door. And anyway, with Pollock up, right? I said, look, I've got to go now, but do you want to meet up the next day? So we met at 10 a.m. the next morning he was stood there where we arranged to meet not too far away there was like a a cafe like a diner thing this wasn't some like mission to go get him help it just transpired that that's what it became that day and we walked up to Sunset Boulevard and it's so weird the contrast because you know you've got everyone all fixed up and looking dishevelled cool like I probably do sometimes (laughs) you know like tattoos and beards and It's just all a bit, it's so strange. Like I just remember walking up and he looks like, you know, somebody who's been sleeping out on the street and hasn't been looking after himself. And he just felt so self-conscious straight away. We went to get a coffee and I remember walking to this cafe and it was as if like there's an alien in the cafe. There's just a few eyes that came up from their laptops as everyone's there tapping away at Mm the Apple Mac again, like Mm -hmm. I often do. I'm not passing judgment here, but there was just this, this, these eyes cast on him I remember made him feel really self-conscious I said look why don't we head towards this this gym and talk to those people how far away is it and he said I was like, about an hour's walk away and I was like alright I'm up for it if you are I mean is huge and actually an hour's not all that bad but it was hot and he's like "No, I can't go back look at me and he started getting down on himself again and I said well what do you need and he was like look at my t-shirt it's dirty and we went into a thrift store and bought him a new t-shirt and then when we were sat outside i saw he still had this dirt on his neck that i hadn't really wiped off from the day before when i cut his hair and had these facial wipes in my bag and he was sat down and i said hang on come here a minute and i got out these wipes and i started wiping his face and i did that for a, I don't know, you know a minute and then he suddenly like pushed my hand away and he was like dude what are you what are you doing like hang on what's what's going on here why are you why are you why are you doing this Um to be honest i had no idea well, i would thought to myself too as well i was like i forgot what i was supposed to do today i'm here with you and i'm wiping your face on this curb at like 11 a.m <laughs> and i said to him i was like i don't i don't know man i don't know why What's so he said i don't know why you, he said why are you showing me this love like what's going on and he was he was so taken aback that someone gave a shit to wipe the dirt off his face i mean that in itself it just shows you, that, you know, love looks different to everyone. And to him, he wasn't able to accept that even that s- small moment that was happening. And I j- joked, I said to him, "Look, man, I'm, I'm, don't worry, I don't want anything from from you. I'm, I'm straight. Like we're just, we're just hanging out here. Like I'm not coming onto you or anything. I'm just wiping this, d- <laughs> I'm wi- wiping this dirt off your face. That's all that's happening. And yeah, and then he sort of was like, oh, okay, fine, fine. Anyway, we carried on walking, and it was when we did get there the first person on the door they recognized him and they were like hey man like what's up where have you been yeah it was like hugs cool but the point with him is is took him a minute to like realize that there was no strings attached there was no catch there was no like if i do this for you then you're gonna i'm I'm gonna need something from you
1: i get what you're saying (laughs) that you need to actually learn that there are people in this life who will do something for you without wanting something in return.
0: Yeah, and 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 then there's a lot of people who are going to try and fuck you over too. <laughs> like the whole, the whole point, I guess I could summarise everything I've been saying really, really quickly here, which is like, look, we're everything. Humans are everything. You, we, we, like, we love to think that we'd be on the good end of history when we think back to the bad things that happened. We'd love to think we'd be on the side of good, but reality check, that's just you wanting to be a good person when you're put in a situation where you've got the pressures of life breathing down your neck so hard sometimes you've got to fight to survive and that's just the way it is and i'm not saying it's okay but i'm just saying that people in desperate situations are going to act in all kinds of different ways do you think you're above that do you, think, do, you think, do you think that you wouldn't act in a, in a way where you'd grab the last toilet roll or the last jar of whatever it is? You know, everyone's got their own lives with the different, different things going on. Like, we're all capable of everything. That's my point. we the good and the bad and everything else in between. And the only way to try to survive in the way that feels the healthiest to me is to work on the better side of yourself. And it's not because I believe that I'm a good person if I do that. It's because it feels healthier. It's because my mind is at ease, because I want peace. I want peace in, inside my mind and my heart. And it's a fucking struggle sometimes to even, you know, on a day-to-day basis, try and live that ethos. But it feels so much better than, 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 than hate, than, than, than harboring negative feelings about a person that you don't know.
1: Josh, let's also talk about our new project together.
0: Yeah, the new project, people of the pandemic, is me well, it was me, you and our housemate Joe. So Jazz and I obviously live together with Joe and Nils, Jazz's brother. And it started at our supermarket around the corner, our Aldi mm-hmm. supermarket, which is mad busy it's on the old chem road in london it's, it's it's like it's really hectic at the and best we've of since times found
1: out that it's renowned as the most difficult aldi to work in in the yeah, whole country yeah. which actually i totally I can, can see yeah <laughs> i can
0: you know it's like it can be a bit hectic at the best of times and, and anyway we we went we went across there you know that day when it was like oh coronavirus is here it's not in italy anymore it's not somewhere else it's and It was like that panic buying, mad hysteria where everyone went out and bought all the toilet rolls Just before
1: lockdown came, it was like we knew it was coming and the way that people responded and reacted to that was quite intense, right? Yeah,
0: it really was, wasn't it? Anyway, there was this guy on our checkout and his name was Jarvis and, and he just started speaking about some quite important parts of this that we wondered were being heard, which was like him and his position coming to work still you know he was saying about he's trying to teach his daughters compassion his young daughters that he has and he's really scared of him seeing all this because it's you know it's just pe- mob mentality in his words and anyway well, all that died down quickly but in the midst of that we went back and we interviewed Jarvis the next day we took his portrait at a distance you know because social distancing was just coming in and we heard his story and that became the catalyst for people of the pandemic. Two months down the line, it's it's been gathering momentum and it's everyday heroes. Like we, we call it the, the heroes we never knew we needed. And the point being that there were heroes anyway, you know, they were there. But now the fog's cleared and we can see these people who are still working whilst the rest of us are in lockdown. We realize how important these people are because they are still keeping the heart of the cities beating or wherever you live. You know, wherever you are, there's people who are still working and they're clocking in, they're putting their health at risk and they are unsure of the consequences each day. And obviously, tragically, there's been people who have fallen because of that, who've fallen out of this world forever because they were a a TFL driver and they still had to go to work on the bus. You know what I mean? And it's real. It's real. We're just trying to talk about these people in a way that I think everyone realizes right now, which is they're heroes. They're fucking heroes what People of the Pandemic started as was like a p- photography series, but quite soon we we realised that actually we're trying to implement some new, I guess like some new role, role models for when this is all over, for like remembering that these people are amazing and beautiful and whether they be frontline workers for the NHS or literally your postman, our postman Malcolm, who I didn't know before and I had to check myself because I was like, I know this guy as far as I see him every day, but I haven't ever asked his name. Now I know his name. It's Malcolm. He's been been a postman in Peckham for 45 years and he's still on probably basic pay grade and he's still out there doing it. It's Mm -hmm. like, that's what people of the pandemic's about. And it's, it's now a collective of, of photographers who it's like, I think it's about 15 countries strong around the world. Yeah, I think more.
1: Yeah. We've got Bali to Yangon to Taiwan to LA to Melbourne and Sydney. It's mad.
0: Yeah. Now we've got this little, yeah, this little gang.
1: This buzzing WhatsApp group. Yeah, <laughs> who, are
0: all, who are all documenting people from a distance in different cities to tell their stories. It's not just outwardly telling these stories to people on social media. It's actually for the people in the photo who are in the shop because, you know, we've had some really nice experiences where people who we've shot, they've seen their photo afterwards and they've, you know, like Lloyd... Okay, just quickly, like Lloyd, this delivery driver who comes to our place in Peckham, I, I showed him the portrait and he loved it. It's in the, the photo that I took. But then my friend Claire salvo in in la she drew this amazing drawing of him and i showed him and he was made up he was absolutely made up that someone across the world was drawing him in this picture and he whatsapp me later that day and was like i've shown my family and like they're so proud and it's it's really meant a lot to me and yeah i I, you know i'm I'm talking about this not to blow smoke up our ass here and hopefully that doesn't come across but it's it's like you know, this is a celebration of the people, to the people, for the people, because they need somewhere to also be like, hey, this is where I've expressed myself in this time, in this like time where I thought no one was listening to me. Yeah, having more places to express that feeling, at least as an outlet, if nothing else.
1: I think Jay is a really good example of that, that I'd just like to mention, who is a consultant at St George's Hospital in London, another person that we featured right we can share it I poured it for both of us
0: I had a sip of Jazz's tea
1: very cheeky Um, so another person that we featured he messaged us after we featured his story saying that it had been something for his friends and family and his wife and his children to share with their friends but also a place for them to look into his heart to know what he was feeling because he maybe doesn't have the energy or the time to even talk to them or to extended family on zoom you know because he's working every day and that's something that I think really put a light bulb on in my mind that this as you say wasn't about outwardly necessarily celebrating these heroes but also providing a space for them to express themselves uh, that they can share um, that also will go down in history as a bit of a legacy and documentation of this time
0: yeah exactly for clarity like people of the pandemic is you know, it's it's an Instagram account, but it's also a website. And it's it's also really, it's, it's, it's for anybody, you know, if you know those heroes where you are and those people who, who you might want to celebrate, it's a way to join in if you do have a bit of time.
1: It's inclusive of everybody because mm-hmm. everybody has those people around them that are coming to their door on a daily basis. You know, we're not introducing you to anybody new on the page, just no. the people all around you. In terms of a a call to action, which I always think is important when it comes to storytelling, I think that there's a really clear one here, right? And it's. Acknowledging the bus driver when you get on the bus, things like that that we can incorporate into our every day. I'll never forget yeah. that first trip to Aldi that we made um, after we'd spoken to Jarvis for the first time and we started to talk to some of the staff there. Another girl who worked there told us that the day before had been the worst day of her life ever working at Aldi because it had been so busy and so hectic and tensions had been running so high. But when she thought she was about at breaking point she was bought a bunch of flowers by a customer and that changed the whole course of her day
0: yeah and we i think we we can overlook that very easily i think it's, it's, it's so important to focus on that and again people get confused and thinking well great but like how does that help? i'm like okay well you know again jarvis we saw a couple of days ago because he's become a friend and he was like for every you know like one smile really like wipes over like every fuck you you get that day like you might get five fuck yous but if one person smiles at you it wipes over the whole thing but it's just trying to have that awareness when we can that like oh your your smile to that checkout worker or the person working at the post office or the bus driver it's like it it will really make a difference it will and and that that shit's so important it's so so important it's so worth thinking about that, how you can trade in, in, in those little little interactions.
1: Yeah, and I think that that brings us back around to what we were talking about at the beginning when it comes to your interactions with people on the street, right? That most people will say to you that actually it's the fact that they feel invisible, that they're not acknowledged as people walk past them in a hurry that cuts it so deep
0: yes, the way you step out in this world is more important than anything you'll ever say. You know what I mean? Like, anything that I ever talk about, this way of being and, the, you know, this kind of philosophy to be with one another, like, what really matters is when I walk out of our door and how I interact with people in this world. You can, you can, like I say, you can sit sip in the all the wine and having the most profound conversations, but, like, when you actually get out there on the street... And you're in the thick of it, how do you how do you conduct yourself? Like how do you then it's the most important time to remember that's who you are, that is who you are, when you're out there in the world.
1: This special bonus episode completes season two of the Worldwide Tribe podcast, which will return next month with season three launching on World Refugee Day, the twentieth of June. If you're interested to find out more about some of the things that me and Josh spoke about today, you can find him on Instagram at Joshua Coombs or at Do Something For Nothing. Also, whilst on Instagram, go and check out at People of the Pandemic and our website, PeopleOfThePandemic.uk. To let me know your thoughts or what you'd like to hear more of in season three, you can message me on Instagram at The Worldwide Tribe. The more people who come on this journey with us, the more connected we all become, and the more we unite as one worldwide tribe. Big thanks to Alexander Wells for composing our original music and mixing this episode.